good for us to just pray for uh, the rest of the church in the city. So let's take a minute to do that. God, I thank you. I thank you that uh, you have raised up a faithful witness for Jesus in this city. And I thank you for the hundreds and hundreds of churches in this city that look to you, that will worship this morning, that uh, will worship this afternoon, tonight, and some last night and through the week. And I ask in the name of Jesus, you'd pour out the Holy Spirit on these churches. I think of the the dozens of churches that people in this room passed on their way here this morning. God, we ask you to bless them. Provide for them financially. We ask that you'd encourage their pastors and leaders. Pray, Lord, that they would be uh, places of worship in the city where the lost are found, where the strays are brought back, where the broken are mended, where the weak are strengthened. And we thank you, Lord, for an increasing and unprecedented level of unity in this city among churches and we pray for more. We pray for more. We ask that the bride of Christ here would rise up in unity, would look to you with single eyes and whole hearts and proclaim the good news of Jesus to this city. And we ask, Lord, for your work to be done in this city like never before. Lord, we pray for ministries that work hard to connect the churches, for Mosaic looking to uh, help uh, us all as churches move towards justice, for Tidewinds and John Pescio and his team. We thank you for their encouragement to pastors and leaders. I ask that you encourage them as they, as they encourage us to help us remain vitally connected to Jesus. Pray for faith, hope, and love in this very uh, complex that you would continue to bless their ministry, Merlin and his team, and all that happens through them to practically display the love of God. God bless them and give us grace to be uh, unified brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how about that? That would be good. Okay. Um, I'm in a series, uh, well, good morning. Hi, I should say hi. <laughs> I'm in a series, uh, been so for the last couple of weeks, and we'll go for a few more weeks. I'm calling it Ancient Pathways or um, Life Between the Miracles. And I want to read the two uh, scriptures that have kind of been our foundational scriptures for this series and just uh, remind you where we are, where we've been, and then uh, give you an explanation of where we're going in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. It's the prophet of God speaking to the people of God and saying, hey, ask God for the ancient ways. You know, the tried and true practices. The the paths to walk that bring us into intimate communion with God and give us grace and power to give to the world. It ends in rest for your souls. And Matthew chapter 11 from the message uh, paraphrase of the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking. Are you tired? Yes. Are you tired? <laughs> Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how to do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And you look at these two passages, and you realize that um, these, are, these are passages that have activity that lead to rest. These, these activities lead to souls at rest. And I just want to make sure that in this series, as we're talking about rest for the soul, that you don't uh, get mixed up and think that we mean the, the soul at rest is the soul at sleep. <laughs> I'm not talking about the soul asleep. I'm talking about the soul at rest. Jesus says, if you'll learn from me and you walk with me, even though there's a yoke on you, even though you're working hard in the field, it will be rest to you. And Jeremiah says, there's a way to walk. You know, there's a place to stand. There's a journey to go on. And if you'll find this place and you'll walk in this path, there'll be rest. So this is active rest. And I just want to make sure you hear that, that the soul at rest is the soul working for God. The soul at rest is not the soul striving for God. It's not the soul just sleeping in God. It's the soul at rest in God's sovereignty, his providence, and in trust in him. Jesus' soul was at rest when he went to the cross. Just imagine that. I mean, he was grieved and embittered before that in the garden. But walking with the cross to pay the price for our sin, his soul was at rest. He was working hard, but his soul was at rest in God. Peter, when he preached on Pentecost, his soul was at rest when the move of God came and thousands of people came to Christ. The prophets of old, when they spoke for justice and righteousness in their cities and in their nations, their souls were at rest because they knew they couldn't do the work on their own, but that God could be trusted to do the work. So a soul at rest is a soul empowered by God. It's a soul moving towards God. It's a soul that trusts God. It's a picture of trust and courage, action, leadership, wisdom. It's not a numb soul. It's a live soul. So far in this series, we've talked about some of these spiritual practices, some of these uh, ancient pathways, some of these things that Jesus did between the miracles. We've talked about solitude and silence. We've talked about prayer. Uh, We've talked about engaging God in the scriptures. And this morning, I want to talk about an ancient practice called the daily examen. How many of you have heard of the daily examen? Okay. It looks like examine, but if you want to sound smart, you say examine. I don't really know why, but that's what we all do. So it's a Latin phrase. It just simply is the practice of noticing God in your day, coming to God with your whole self, confessing your sins as God points them out, and choosing to walk in grace through the rest of your days. That's really it. And um, Ignatius of Loyola, 15th century, came up with it. He was a smart dude, but the examen, the daily examen was practiced way before that. <clears throat> We're going to go to Psalm 139 this morning, and what I think is really exciting, so if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 139. If it's memorized, just click on that place in your brain, okay? <laughs> uh, I've told you lots of times, I have a good friend, his name's Dave Knoll. Dave's the happiest guy I know. Um, Dave connects with me and I with him every Sunday morning. He leads worship at another church, but we email back and forth. We text back and forth. And um, this morning I came in and I was working on a message. This message. (laughs) 
And um, I didn't have time to look at my email or anything. I just was kind of a little bit rushed to sort of get, you know, get myself in process. I knew where I was headed in my brain, but felt like it might be good to have some notes. And um, so I didn't get a chance to check my email. And it was only about 10 minutes before we started to pray. I'd already put together my notes and the PowerPoint and, and, you know, knew where we were headed this morning. I realized, oh, man, it's like it's like 10 after 9. I'll bet. I bet Dave's out there somewhere trying to encourage me, you know. So I, I connected my iPad to the internet here, and, and I got a bunch of emails, but I, didn't, I only clicked on the one from Dave. And the very first line of the, of the email from Dave is, Hey, friend, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about you this morning, and for some reason, Psalm 139 came to my mind. So <clears throat> I, in a non-typical fashion, wrote back to him in all capital letters with exclamation points and said, that's because it's the passage I'm preaching from this morning. <laughs> so my guess is that God is speaking to us this morning. He's got a very specific word for us this morning. And I'll just say honestly, as I usually do, um, it might not be my words. It might be God's words to you through the scripture, by the spirit. However you hear God this morning, listen, because he's speaking. So I'm going to read Psalm 139. I'm going to read it slowly. It's relatively long, but that's okay. Be at peace. Every word of God is a good word. So we're going to listen to and rest in the good word of God this morning from Psalm 139. It won't be on the screen. You're welcome to look in your Bible or open your phone or, or wherever. If you want to close your eyes, you can just listen. This is God's word to you this morning. It's a Psalm of David, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now stay in the moment. Usually when we read Psalm 139, we stop there because it stops getting cozy there. But the scripture is the scripture and it's in a context. And so I want you to hear the full 
of Psalm 139. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. There's a change of tune. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to talk about self-examination and confession this morning, the practice of the daily examine, looking at our life in light of God's presence. And I just want to give you a a word of comfort right here. Self-examination and confession is not about finding sin in your life. It's not mainly about, you know, okay, God's got the searchlight looking for where you screwed up. Some of you are picturing a whip or an angry person. It's not what self-examination and confession is about. Self-examination and confession begins with waking up to God's presence. They begin with waking up to the reality of God's presence. So verse 1, Psalm 139. David says, you have searched me, past tense. You have searched me and you know me. And then David goes like 12 verses just to express how utterly and completely God is present with him. I said it last week. God is present in every moment and at all times or he's present in no moments, in no places, at no time. He's God. He's everywhere all the time. So David goes through this long list. I mean, this is just David's journal, right? How many of you pray to the Lord? No one will ever read your journal when you die. (laughs) This is just David's journal. It's like, God, when I think about how you've searched and known me, I mean, man, it's everywhere. Everywhere I go, you're there. When I'm in the heights of ecstasy, you're right there. I mean, the literal words, the Hebrew Old Testament, David basically says, if I were to go to hell, you would be there. That says to me, in your sin, God is present. Careful. God's not encouraging your sin, but you cannot sin God away. I mean, just humble yourself. You're just simply not that powerful. You cannot sin away the blood of Jesus or that bug right there. That's the devil, right? You can't sin away the blood of Jesus or its effect in your life. So literally, I mean, sometimes I I think that we think, wow, you go off into sin, whatever it is, mind, body, whatever it is, you're, you're in sin. And you think to yourself, well, God's left me surely now. And I just want to tell you that's not the truth. Psalm 139, there is nowhere you can go to be away from God. When God is present in the midst of your sin, he's present not to condemn, but to convict. Not to pour out his anger on you, but to invite you back into his love and his grace and his redemption. Let me just remind you, all of the anger of God against sin has already been poured out. It went out on Jesus. And Jesus took the full wrath of God against sin past present and future there's no more wrath left for you yesterday i had 
the privilege, the responsibility, the difficult assignment of um, officiating at a funeral for uh, a young woman who took her own life, connected to someone who's been in this church for a long time. And um, I don't normally do it. I went into the funeral. I mean, I had notes for the funeral, but I had no message. Like I knew it hopes had to come somewhere, but I, I really couldn't come up with any hope. Like everything sounded cliche to me. You know how that feels like? And um, so the only thing I came with in terms of the message was Romans chapter 8. That's all I had was Romans chapter 8. And so what I did was I just camped on Romans chapter 8. And I'll, I'll tell you, I did not start with verse 28. All things work together for good. You know, that's true, but not appropriate for that funeral yesterday. It's not what they needed to hear. I started in Romans 8, 29 where Paul, in the book of Romans, just goes on and on and on, almost like David goes on and on and on about the impossibility of God's people, once connected to God, being separated from God's love in Jesus. And so I read those ten verses. And all I could really say to the people was, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. It's... it's, this is the beginning of self-examination and confession. It begins with our self waking up to God's presence, no matter how we feel or what we've done. Romans chapter 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you are bound by the love of God and you can't get out. You can't be extracted. If you are not in Christ this morning and Christ is not in you, this is your invitation to find boundless love to find unconditional love. So this first part of self-examination and confession as a, a part of a pathway to rest for our souls, it's not about condemnation. It's about waking up to God's presence. Psalm 139, you've searched me and you know me. You see everything. Every single day of my life was written in your book before one came to pass. In fact, you ordained it. And so I said to the people sitting and grieving in that funeral yesterday, as I sat and grieved with them. No, this doesn't make sense. No, this doesn't feel like love. But nothing, not even the confusion of this pain, not even the mystery of this death, can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. God is present. And I told them, God's present here in the midst of your sorrow. I told them, you know, God knows what it feels like to lose a child. God knows what it feels like to go through mourning and sorrow. Because the scripture says, he gave up his own son. 
So self-examination and confession, first of all, is waking up to the unconditional, loving, eternal, never-ending, all-powerful love of God. It's based on the work of Jesus, and it's based on God's unchangeable nature. His love for you is fixed. He can't change it. That's really good news. I would like someone to say amen. Thank you. And I want to tell you, self-examination and confession as a practice is not safe if you don't walk into it with an understanding of God's unconditional love and acceptance. Right? How many of you have ever wandered into the depths of your own soul without God's unconditional love and the knowledge of that and then walked out really encouraged? It doesn't happen that way, right? Because we walk in and we look with human eyes and we see human failing and then the devil comes along and says, that's right, you are, you know? And we walk out thinking, oh man, we've got to walk into self-examination and confession in the light of truth. God's presence, his love is full, complete, and we can't get away from it. That's where it begins. Unconditional love. So first we wake up to God's presence all around us in his love, and then we wake up our, to ourselves in God's presence. So you're thinking that I'm about to bring the hammer down, right? Well, God's really good, but you. I don't have a low enough voice for that. <laughs> but no, that's not where David goes in Psalm 139. You've searched me and you know me. You're here, you're there, you're everywhere. If I sin, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I'm in heaven, you're there. Man, before I was, you were there. Before I, my being was formed, you were present to me. Awesome. And then he takes... You know, he, he, go, he goes to that whole passage, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb and all that stuff. David, in his journal, actually writes this. I mean, this is the paraphrase. When I look in the mirror, I think to myself, I'm awesome. That's what he says. I mean, he just uses figurative language. God, you made me and your works are wonderful and beautiful and amazing. I know that for sure. I mean, you know how that works? God made you. You're a creation of his. All his creations are good and, and perfect. You are good and perfect. And David actually spends some time there. I would like to encourage you to spend some time there. When's the last time you celebrated yourself like David celebrates himself? When's the last time you looked in the mirror? This will be real awkward if anyone did this this morning, but maybe it'd be fun, you know? You just looked at yourself and said, you know, it's like, oh, it's terrible. I'll date myself with the Fonz, but you know, remember, remember Fonzie in Happy Days? He'd go to the mirror, he's like, hey, you know, it's all there already, you know? What if we celebrated ourselves like that? We're not celebrating sin, we're celebrating redemption. David wrote in Psalm 139 after Psalm 51, where he confessed his sin, where he murdered a man committed adultery, murdered a man, and lied about it. It's the same dude. And he says, God, you, you search me, you know me, you're everywhere. You made me. I'm awesome. I think we need to learn how to celebrate our own awesomeness. I mean, th there are cultures that are good at this. We've known a lot of Iranians. Whatever you think about Iran and Iranians, whatever you see on, on TV, it's not all true. We know some of the most loving, gracious people that Jane and I know are Iranians. And when we were working with refugees and we met this one, his name was Shaheen. Shaheen was the first person that ever invited me to his birthday party 
with basically these words. We're celebrating me. <laughs> we don't do that in the U.S., right? We like have birthday parties for others, and then we go, oh, please, no, not me. Right. Oh, you shouldn't have. But I wish it was a little bit more. You know, we do that, don't we? I mean, that's how I do it anyway. Shaheen's like, no, I'm awesome. Celebrate me. And Shaheen didn't know the Lord, but you know what? He is awesome. He's not yet redeemed, but he's going to be redeemed. He's made in God's image. So maybe we ought to just have 2014 be the year of awesome parties, you know? When it's your birthday, you say, I'm awesome, so I'm having a party. It's not a bad idea. Okay, for all you introverts, I apologize (laughs) for that. So we're waking up. David's waking up to himself in God's presence. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. Right? The truest thing about you is what God says about you. So when you open up the Bible, or you listen to someone who loves you, or you hear the words of God, or you read the, the words of Psalm 139, these are God's words over you. Beautiful. Wonderfully made, perfect, intricate, awesome. So self-examination and confession, it sounds more fun now, doesn't it? It starts with waking up to God's presence in our lives and his goodness to us. It moves on to to recognizing um, ourselves, all of ourselves in God's presence, including the good stuff, the image of God that we bear. And then and only then does it move to that part, and you knew I had to get there somewhere, which is our willingness to bring our whole selves before God. So God, you're here completely. Thank you. God, I'm here and there's some really good stuff about me because you made me. Now, if we're honest, there's some stuff that's not so hot. There's some stuff that's not as exciting. And that's why I read those verses, uh, Psalm 139, 19 to 24. Remember, I... Such knowledge is too wonderful. Where can I go? Everything's good. If I say the darkness will hide me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. I mean, what he's saying is even the darkest parts of me, you see them in the light of your presence. You created my inmost being, goes through the whole thing. When I awake, I'm still with you. And you know, and normally this is the point where the music fades and it's just nice, cuddly time with God, right? But it's not the end of his journal entry. The next line, right after I'm with you even when I awake, is away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. You're like, what the heck? He's like DID or something, you know? David 1 was real nice and David 2 comes out. What the heck's going on here? I don't think so. I think this is just the whole of David. I think he's right there in the midst of it. He realizes, man, God, you're so good to me. You're everywhere around. And even when I, and then he starts to realize some of his stuff. I think his anger starts to come up. Now in seminary, they they taught us that this part of the psalm is what is called an imprecatory psalm. It's a fancy way of saying when the Old Testament people were really ticked off, they said, God, I don't like him and you probably don't like him, kill him. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I kind of (laughs) have. Except we never use the word kill him, right? We just like have justice. (laughs) Let your justice come down upon them, right? I think what's happening in David's life right now is he's realizing as I'm uh, understanding the presence and the fullness of God, oh, some other stuff is present. Oh, I got those enemies. They've been after me for years. 
They remind me of my sin. They really want to kill me. In fact, they hate me. God, they hate you. You should take care of them. Put them in their place. And I think what's happening here is David is bringing his whole self to God. Now, there is a place for righteous anger. I'm just not sure that's what this is. And that's why I think we move from this place of of confession, God's here's what's in my heart, the whole stuff, my hatred, my self-righteousness, my venom, my bitterness, my malice. But then in the next verse, David goes back. Now remember verse 1, you have searched me, past tense, and you know me, continuous present. And then he says in the next verse, after all this venom comes out, God, search me and know me. It's like he's saying this, you're here, you're good, and I'm good because of you, but I got this other stuff, and I don't know how to control it, and I don't know what to do with it, and I know I can't hide it from you, and it spills out into my life and makes problems everywhere I go. So God, even though you've done the thorough search and check, you know, Maybe you should click that button again. Maybe you should do one more scan. I'm sure there's something in there. I can feel it. And so he says, Lord, search me again. Know me. See if there's an anxious way in me. See if there's an offensive way in me. That's the word he uses, an offensive way. The word is sin. It's not just God show me the little thing I did. It's David saying, see if there's a pattern within me that constantly produces as its fruit sinful behavior. He's not just saying, tell me when I lied. But God, show me the place that's been built in my life through brokenness that makes me a liar. Why do I do that? I mean, this is self-examination and confession. It comes in the unconditional love of God. It comes in the midst of God's presence and his goodness. But it comes wholeheartedly. God, show me the whole deal. Because at the very end of the verse, at the very end of the psalm, David says this, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's almost like, it's almost the same phrase as Jeremiah 6, 16. The ancient paths, the way everlasting, the old way, the eternal way, the way that always works out for my good in the end is the way of God's presence, and the way of gratitude in God's presence, and the way of uh, understanding our own goodness because of God, and then even recognizing our sinfulness, and then bringing it all to God's grace. We ask God to show us himself, and and we praise God for the good in us, and we bring our whole selves to God, and we ask God to give us this new way of life. Are you willing to ask God to help you engage in an honest, non-neurotic, repeat after me, non-neurotic. Should I say that a bunch of times in a row, kind of obsessively? Non-neurotic examination of my life. Are you willing to do that so that you get in God's eyes to see all of yourself, his presence, the goodness, ah, the difficulty, and then the grace that covers it? The end of self-examination and confession is not morbid introspection. It's not condemnation. It's not shame or guilt. If you end up in any of those places, you took a wrong turn. Okay? 
So if you go through self-examination and confession and you end up in shame or guilt or condemnation, I want you to put in your little spiritual Garmin a new address. It's called God's grace. Call someone. Look to your Bible. Call a friend. And they will say, recalculating. (laughs) I'm serious. Because if you end up in shame, the, the devil has taken you there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. There isn't any. It's not your inheritance. Remember that in self-examination and confession, you're not looking for sin. You're looking for God. Huge difference. You will find what you look for. You're not looking for sin. You're looking for God. You're, you're waking up in God's presence You're looking for God's activity in your life. You're looking for God's goodness in and through you. And in light of that, you will see the place where you don't match up with God's perfect will. It is called sin. It will show itself. God will lead you to it. You don't have to go searching. You do have to be open. This is a guide to spiritual self-examination and confession. The Holy Spirit is the guide. Trust him. (laughs) Don't trust you completely. Trust him. So what I want to do is I want to just uh, show you real quickly, three minutes, a tool I've given you for self-examination and confession. Did you get one of these coming in? If you did, pull it out. If you didn't, raise a hand and someone will give you one. Could we have a someone who will be that someone in the back who's feeling? Thank you, Carol. So you got on one side Lexio Divina. That's what I talked about a few uh, weeks ago, engaging God in Scripture. And so you kind of have the tool there. Remember the five R's, the reading, the reflection, the response, the, re- the rest, and the resolution. So that's just simple for you to remember how to engage God in the Scriptures. And on the other side is the daily examine. And what, what I just spoke to out of Psalm 139, I've given you in five words here. Five words. It begins with presence. God's presence in your life. Begin your time of daily examination and confession, acknowledging God's presence in your life. God, you're here and I know it and I'm so glad. From presence it goes to gratitude. Thank you, God, that every good gift comes from you. Don't skip this part. Don't skip acknowledging God's presence. Don't skip gratitude for what he's done in your life. Gratitude continually expressed becomes an attitude that God is drawn to. For some reason, the Bible says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. Sometimes we think if we were really in God's presence, we'd be utterly condemned. But that's not what the Bible says. Fullness of joy. Yes. Presence gratitude. Now here's uh, step number three where we begin to look. God, now search me. I want to see what's going on in my life. Show me all this stuff. Show me today, where did you love me well? Remind me of that part. God, was there a place where I loved well today? Would you remind me of that? I'd like to see that. This is 15 minutes at the end of your day. Not 15 hours. This is 15 minutes at the end of your day. God's presence gratitude for God's work and a review. 
Holy Spirit, show me this day. Where did I see your love? Where did I express your love? And then and only then, you open your heart into sorrow. You look at your day with God's eyes. And you just say simply this, God, was there a place today where I willingly turned from you? Was there something I said today that just was not the love of Jesus? Was there something I looked at today that was not worthy of the eyes of a believer? Was something in my business dealings, something in my heart, boy, even if I didn't say it, I just let it rage in there. And from that place, we confess our sins in the unconditional loving presence of God and we claim what is rightly ours. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and he's just and he'll forgive your sin and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You cannot go out of a time of full confession with God with unrighteousness. You're cleansed. And that's why the fifth step in the examen is grace. Oh, what a relief. God, your presence is here and I'm thankful for it. You've spoken to me. You've shown me my life and all the good. You've shown me these areas where I've, I've erred, I've gone off. You've forgiven my sin. And now I get to walk in your grace. You just end with, God, oh, let me walk in it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I did this last night. This is becoming a habit for me. It's not easy for this to become a habit. But this is tuning in to the God who's always speaking. That does mean you might have to tune out to some other things in order to tune in to the God who's always speaking. So even last night, lying in bed, I went through this. I thought, God, thank you that you're present here. Thank you for a day that's exhausting but good. Thank you that my daughter's home from school. Thank you that I get to see my, my extended family tomorrow. God, that's good. Gratitude. Those are good gifts. Isn't it great that I can say my in-laws are coming today and that's a good gift? I said it first service even when you weren't here. I mean, these are good gifts. God, thank you that yesterday when I made the griddle cakes like I always used to when the kids were small, they didn't burn. It was perfect. <laughs> Presence, gratitude. God, show me my day. God, thank you that you gave me words to speak in a, in a time, in a place at that funeral where I didn't have words. Thank you that you were so, you cared so much about those people that you spoke through me even though I didn't know what you were going to say. Thank you that I could bring a little bit of comfort. Now I got to the sorrow part. I'm sorry I don't have a juicy sin for you. But I got to the sorrow part. And I thought, God, what, where did I miss you today? And I'll tell you, it came to me right away. I was leaving the funeral yesterday. I mean, I was exhausted. You know how that is? It's a lot of emotion and you, you'd want to be there for them and you're feeling it and it brings back your own memories and I'm just feeling all of it. And I walked out. I'm literally walking out of the funeral home and um, this person popped into my brain. It was a person who was grieving, a person who was there. And I had spoken with them, but the Lord was saying clearly to me, Randy, you need to go talk to them one more time. I mean, I just knew that I knew that I knew. And I, I stopped at the door. 
You can check the video at the funeral home. I stopped at the door. I thought about it. I, I looked back. They'd already closed the doors, so the family was in, and, and this person was in there. And I heard the crying, and I thought, I can't, I can't do it. It's like, it's like, I can't do it. So I, I walked out, I got in my car, and I drove away. And last night, uh, you know, in my bed, I thought, God, that's where I missed you. I, I mean, I, you were saying you had something else to do and something else to say, and I missed you. I, I heard your voice, I saw the invitation, and I turned, and I went away. And I stayed there for a little bit, and I asked God to forgive me, and I moved right into grace. God, thank you that I am not the only messenger of redemption in the world that these people will see God in another person. And I just said, God, in your grace, give me another chance. Give me another chance. And when I get that chance, I'll let you know, okay? But I just ask God, give me another chance. And then I, coming back to grace, I realize, God, I'm going to have a chance tomorrow to bless some people. And the next day and the next day. That's self-examination and confession. Biblical style. Let's pray. Uh, communion servers, if you could come forward, it'd be great. God, we thank you that you are fully present here in us, to us. God, thank you that you're present uh, by your Holy Spirit. And I ask for great courage and great faith and great grace and empowered wills in your people here this morning that we would make this a daily practice to wake up to your presence to be grateful, thankful of what you've given to us, to even look at ourselves with your eyes and say it's good, it's awesome. Lord, to look through our days with you and to see those places where we followed and those places where we strayed, to receive your forgiveness and to walk cleansed in grace. We thank you for the gift of intimacy with you through your son Jesus and we pray in his name, amen. As you come to take communion this morning, if you've given your life to Christ, Jesus lives within you. This is the time you remember that he's very present. This wafer today is God's Jesus' broken body, broken for you. This juice, this wine, his blood spilled out for you. You know, the, the, the perfectly righteous one giving himself for the unrighteous ones so that the ones that should never be in God's presence can always be in God's presence. That's this gift. So when you're ready, please come forward.